Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders as the Ohio State football team returns to action this week against Maryland after a week off. I know I enjoyed a little bit of a laid back weekend. How about you, Andy? Uh, yeah, it was very nice. I uh, got to spend some time with some people I care about and, uh, you know, maybe maybe get a little drinking in there, just a, just a touch. So uh, and it was nice to have a weekend off because the next eight to nine Saturdays, we're going to be covering Ohio State football for the masses. And uh, yeah, so you enjoy those bye weeks when they come, but, you know, ready to get back out and watch some more football here, Dan. Yeah, and certainly I think the Ohio State football players themselves enjoying a week off, a a good chance to recover after a very emotional and intense win over Notre Dame. But now the real grind of a season begins. You've got eight games in a row, like you mentioned, all against Big Ten opponents. And so, you know, we we had the first big test against Notre Dame after kind of a tune-up. But now tune-up season's over. Now now you're kind of in the thick of it where – you know, every week is going to present its own kind of challenge. And I think that's especially true for this upcoming month of October, where you you look at this schedule for the next four games, and I don't think there's any game in that schedule, but you can simply look past and say, that's going to be an easy win for the Buckeyes. And between Maryland, Purdue, Penn State, Wisconsin, those are four games there in that stretch that all have the potential to get interesting, particularly if Ohio State doesn't play up to its ability. Penn State is certainly the one you circle as the big test, another game that I think will be much like Notre Dame, where we're probably going to go into it going, this game can go either way. Not quite at that level this week with Maryland, but certainly this is a team Ohio State cannot overlook because Maryland is 5-0 and to start the season. They gave Ohio State a competitive game at their place last year. Ohio State won by two scores, but it I mean, Maryland had the ball with less than a minute to go with a chance to go down the field and win the game. And then uh, Zach Harrison forced a fumble. Steel Chambers recovered a fumble in the end zone for a touchdown. Ohio State ultimately won 43 to 30. But Maryland gave Ohio State a bit of a scare last season. It still has Talia Tagovailoa at quarterback this year, which means they're capable of at least giving Ohio State a scare again this year. Yes, Dan, Maryland's got a really good team, you know, and one that's going to challenge Ohio State. You look at it, it's I think it's the most complete team they've had under Mike Loxley. When you talk about, especially on defense, top 40 in most major categories, only allowing 13.2 points per game, uh, efficient running the ball, not that they run it a ton, but 5.1 yards per carry, and plus nine turnover margins, one of the best in the country. Uh, they've taken the ball away 12 times, only lost it three times, no fumbles lost on the season, only allowing 40% touchdowns in the red zone too to keep those scoring margins down. This is a team that presents a lot of quality looks to Ohio State in a lot of ways. Now, the talent discrepancy is such that this shouldn't be an issue to get a win in for the Buckeyes, but definitely a team that presents a lot of challenges. And it's kind of that ramp up to Penn State. We talked about before Notre Dame, the ramp Ohio State had in those first three games and how it kind of perfectly led into Notre Dame. This feels similar when you play Penn State at the end of the month, but Maryland, Purdue are obviously a bigger step up in competition than Indiana, Youngstown State, right? And 
Maryland's a team that has given Ohio State so much <laughs> trouble, as you mentioned, uh, not just last year, a very close game, but also in 2018 uh, when Ohio State, Dwayne Haskins had a big day, but they almost lost. Maryland was literally a two-point conversion in overtime from winning that game, one missed throw. And you know, then you go to Purdue, and that's another road test. They're third road trip to Indiana in six games and Ohio State's always been given headaches by Purdue there's two teams there that have the potential to be a trap game if you look ahead to Penn State but they also provide a nice ramp up to Penn State in that way yeah I mean I think there's no doubt that I mean if we're talking like the overall arc of a season at this point to this point, this is the second toughest game of the season. Maryland is a better team than Indiana. They, they proved that this past weekend. And they're, they're a better team than Youngstown State and Western Kentucky, an FCS opponent and a group of five opponents. So I think this is the second toughest game of the year. I, I also think that with everything you've said being true, we also should look at who Maryland has played so far. Maryland's competition so far has been Towson, which is an FCS team, Charlotte, which is one and four, Virginia, which is zero and five, Michigan State, which is two and three and doesn't have a real head coach right now, and Indiana, which is two and three. And so while when you look at Maryland on paper and the numbers look really good, I'm still not sure how good this Maryland team actually is. And I, I don't say that as a shot toward Maryland because... I mean, I, I think they are a good team. I think they are a team that is capable of giving Ohio State a scare this weekend. But when I start to kind of project out what this game is going to look like, to me, even though Maryland has played five games, I still feel like there's a lot of unknowns with Maryland. It is Maryland a team that is capable of really competing with Ohio State for four quarters? or is Maryland going to get exposed a bit playing against better competition? And this could end up being a big win for Ohio State. Because if you look at the history when they've played in Columbus, the last time these two teams met in Columbus in 2021, Ohio State won 66 to 17. And the last time before that in 2019, Ohio State won 73 to 14. Uh, Last time before that, Ohio State won 62 to 14. So we talk about those close calls the last couple times Ohio State played Maryland in Maryland, but this is still a team that has never beaten Ohio State. And I still go into this game feeling pretty confident that Ohio State should be able to take care of business pretty comfortably in this one, especially when you factor in the fact that Ohio State is coming off a of bye week our own Garrett Codge looked at the numbers over the weekend. Ohio State has won by an average of 41 points in a regular season after a week off. So there's reason to expect the Buckeyes best on, on Saturday. I think you, you went into last year's game against Maryland, and it was a week before Michigan. You go back to that 2018 game. Again, it was a week before Michigan. Those games were very much in a trap game spot. This one, I don't really think it is. So I, I think because of that, even though I think this is definitely a step up from what we saw in terms of competition in the first three games, I still go into this game feeling like 
Ohio State should be able to control this game, and Ohio State should be able to win this game at least pretty comfortably. Yeah, I agree. And uh, my score prediction is going to reflect that later. Um, I just think this is kind of a free, like, freezer point game for Maryland. They've played, like you said, some weak competition to this point. And uh, just again, you look at the talent of the rosters, you look at the history of this matchup, like you alluded to when Ohio State's at home, when Ohio State's off a bye week. There's just a lot going against Maryland in this game that, you know, while I think they have the potential to challenge the Buckeyes, if Ohio State isn't playing down to its competition here, I think they should run away with this one. Um, At least that's my perspective on it. Now, with that being said, Dan, what things are you looking forward to Ohio State trying to improve this week? What things are we looking at this team and saying, hey, this is where they need to get better against Maryland? Well, I think certainly the number one thing you look at is short yardage offense. And that was uh, the biggest thing that Ryan Day was asked about and talked about during his press conference on Tuesday and with good reason, because as we talked about last week, even though Ohio State won the game against Notre Dame on a short yardage play, uh, you look at the rest of that game and Ohio State struggled in short yardage situations. You look at the season as a whole and Ohio State has struggled converting in third and short, fourth and short situations. So I think that's number one on, on the list is how does Ohio State fare in both situations this week? And I think they could get tested there a little bit because you look at Maryland's stats, especially in the red zone, they've only allowed six touchdowns and four field goals on 15 attempts. And so this Maryland defense, while again, I don't think it's as good as the stats indicate because it hasn't played an offense that currently ranks better than, I believe, 105th in total offense in FBS. And so Ohio State's offense is by far the best Maryland will have faced so far this season, and I expect the score to reflect that. But still, those short yardage situations are, are something that, you know, no matter who Ohio State is playing right now, is going to be in the microscope because it's been a problem area for the Buckeyes so far this season. So I think offensively, you want to see better execution in short yardage first and foremost. And then you, know, you want to see a bigger number on the scoreboard because, you know, you, you look at the first four games of a season, you know, Indiana, Ohio State was expected to score a lot more than it did. Youngstown State, Ohio State was expected to score more than it did. And against Notre Dame, they won the game, but they were certainly expected to score more than 17 points. And so uh, I think you definitely want to see the offense as a whole take a step this week. And that starts in that short yardage area. And then I think you flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. It's another area we've talked about a lot this year, but I think we want to see some more sacks. And does it, are, are sacks the be-all, end-all? No. I mean, Jim Knowles was asked about that on Tuesday, and he said, you know, as long as we're winning on third down, winning on fourth down, and limiting big plays, we're going to be happy. And so Ohio State has done that successfully, and that's the most important thing. You don't necessarily need sacks to do that, but it's still something that I'm going to be watching for this week because as we've talked about, you expect a third of the way through regular season that JT Tuomoloau and Jack Sawyer are going to have more than zero sacks. And so I I think it's something, you know, even just for the confidence of that group, that unit, you'd like to see them finish some plays, especially going against a quarterback like Taulia Tagovailoa, who is one, very good at passing the ball, and two, is a good athlete, is a mobile quarterback who's going to test their ability to be able to finish those plays. 
Yes, uh, rush discipline is going to be really important in this game, Dan, because I think the way that Talia can extend plays and can just create for this offense is something that Ohio State hasn't really seen, even if it's faced really good quarterbacks to date this season and Sam Hartman and then Austin Reed. You haven't seen a guy who can do a little more to extend plays, get out of the pocket, make things happen with his legs. And so rush lanes, right? Rush lane discipline is something you talk about with pass rushing, staying in a dedicated path with your rush to ensure that a quarterback can't escape. Um, and also Knowles talked about a coordinated rush. So whoever is there, just knowing what your responsibility is in terms of quarterback containment. Not that you can't pin your ears back, but you got to do it within a certain lane if you want to keep Tagovailoa pinned in like this. Yeah, I think certainly that this is going to be a different kind of test for Ohio State's pass defense. Like I think the last two games have been tests for the pass defense, and I think Ohio State has passed those tests. I mean, I, we, I know we just saw a stat that was posted by, I believe, CFB Film Room shortly before we started recording this podcast, and Ohio State is the only team against FBS competition as the qualifier because they did give up a deep ball on, on the opening drive against Youngstown State, but... Ohio State has not allowed a completion of more than 20 yards downfield to an FBS team so far this year. And so uh, Ohio State's pass defense uh, has been great so far this season. And I think certainly uh, you have to be pleased overall with how Ohio State played against Austin Reed and Sam Hartman. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, Talia might be even better than both of those guys are. And so I do think that this is uh, another level of test for Ohio State's pass defense specifically. And and this is a Maryland team that's going to look to pass the ball a lot, which, you know, it, it that can be a good thing if Ohio State's defense plays well, because it could lead to a faster paced game, more possessions, which could allow for bigger numbers offensively for the Buckeyes. Now, we fought that going into the Notre Dame game, too, and it did not turn out that way. So, you know, at this point, I've kind of stopped assuming that, oh, the the possessions are going to suddenly go up this week because we've really only seen it happen once. And so, uh, you know, you just kind of have to see how the game goes once it starts out. But you would think this week's game is going to be the kind of game where Maryland's going to pass the ball a lot. Um, They're going to move at a faster pace than some of the teams Ohio State played in September, which, uh, you know, is going to should give Ohio State the opportunity to score more points, but it's also going to test the defense too. Uh, you know, Ohio State's defense has, of course, been great this year, not allowing any more than 14 points in any game yet, but this could be a tougher test in terms of actually making that happen. I think we saw this against Western Kentucky when the Hilltoppers aired the ball out. Ohio State got more possessions in that game, was able to score more points. Of course, two defensive touchdowns as well helped with that. But, you know, I think that this is a game where Ohio State might be able to get some more possessions, some more production on offense. And I think this is an offense that could use it coming off that Notre Dame game where you did enough to win, of course, offensively, but you didn't. You didn't hit that next gear still that you were able to find against Western Kentucky, especially in that second quarter. So you need to find that again to keep that rhythm, keep that momentum going as you head into these tests against Purdue and Penn State. 
So Ohio State is favored by 19 and a half points by the sports books as of Tuesday afternoon with an over under of 57 and a half. And, you know, I, I think I told you off air and I really as we sit here, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of struggling with what to predict for a score for this game. And I probably shouldn't overthink it because I know that you've been keeping track of the staff scores all season. And I think my predictions have been among the worst on the staff. So I, I probably shouldn't overthink it because it doesn't seem like I've really known what I'm talking about in that regard yet this season anyway. But the one thing I do feel pretty good about going into this game is I think the Buckeyes are going to cover. For, for the reasons I talked about before, where I, I think Maryland's numbers are inflated by who they've played, I, I feel pretty confident that the Buckeyes should, should cover that 19.5 point spread. Now, what I'm not sure about is do they barely cover it or do they blow it away? Because I'm kind of conservatively thinking a score prediction along the lines of like 45 to 21 because I have overshot my score predictions for Ohio state significantly in three of the first four games. And so, you know, I, I think right now to sit here and go, well, they're going to score 60. We haven't seen the evidence of Ohio state doing that on a anywhere near consistent basis. And so it feels a little more realistic to predict something in the 45 to 49 point range for Ohio state going into this game, but I do, you know, I, I, I go into this game thinking, you know, if Ohio state doesn't get into the mid forties, I'll be a little bit surprised because I think this is going to be a faster paced game. I think Ohio state should have more possessions. They typically play really well the first week coming out of a bye, And while I don't think Maryland's defense is bad necessarily, I, I also don't, think it's as good as the numbers look right now based on who Maryland has played. And so I think I expect this to be Ohio State's second highest scoring game of the season to date behind only the Western Kentucky game. And then flipping over to the other side of the ball, you know, we, we've, we've kind of seen a slow trend up with the opposing points. They allowed only three points against Indiana, seven against Youngstown State, 10 against Western Kentucky and 14 against Notre Dame. I wouldn't be surprised if that slow creep continues this week, where that be Maryland scoring 17 points, 21 points, because I do think this is a good Maryland offense. And I do think that a faster pace in this game could potentially lead to more points for Maryland. Even if I don't necessarily think Maryland's offense is better than Notre Dame, the pace of a game might lead to more points for Maryland. But I also sit here and go, you know, if if Maryland scored more than 21 points, I'd be a little surprised because the way Ohio State's defense has played this year uh, has given me a lot of reason to be confident that uh, Ohio State's defense is going to be able to get the job done again. And so I'm going with a score prediction of 45-21, which means I I do think the Buckeyes are going to cover, and I think this the score is going to go over. If it ends up being a more decisive victory than that, I won't be surprised. But conservatively, based on the fact that we've really only seen one game out of four for Ohio State so far this year, in which Ohio State has really taken it to their opponent, I'm going to say 45-21. I have a much bigger margin of victory for Ohio State. Uh, I have 52-17. I do think that uh, Ohio State's defense... 
I, as much as I like Maryland's office, I think Notre Dame's was a more complete one. And I don't think Maryland can wear on Ohio State the same way Notre Dame could. Um, I think the 17 for Maryland, them scoring more than Notre Dame will be a reflection of the pace of this game and them getting more opportunities, more cracks at it. But for me, I think that Ohio State's secondary has proven itself, as you said, that they can shut down these great passing attacks and limit anything explosive and force offenses to drive the field. I think Ohio State's offense does find a rhythm in this game. I think Maryland's defensive metrics are the thing that's been most inflated by their soft schedule to this point because, you know, Tali is proven, but they had to replace some pieces on that defense from last year. So I have 52-17 Ohio State, and as I've been collecting score predictions this week, it seems as though I have the biggest margin of victory on staff. So we'll see if that holds up. Well, switching gears a little bit here from Ohio State, Maryland, uh, we did our first in-season update of the Buckeye 20 last week, which is our uh, season-long ranking of Ohio State's 20 best players. We did our first one on 11 Warriors uh, the day before the season, and we updated it last week to reflect the first four months of a season and rank Ohio State's 20 best players so far this year and uh, no movement within the top two with Marvin Harrison Jr. holding the number one spot and Emeka Buka holding the number two spot. But a lot of movement after that, uh, starting with Denzel Burke making a five spot jump from number eight to number three, uh, the highest ranked defensive player on the list. Uh, something that, you know, again, for people who have been longtime listeners of a show know that I'm not particularly surprised to see this jump from Denzel Burke because I, I said all along that I thought he was going to be a dominant player this year. And, and that's what he has been. I mean, Notre Dame basically didn't even throw his way. And so uh, Denzel Burke, I think uh, rightfully so, is now ranked by our staff one month into the season uh, as Ohio State's top defensive player this year, but a couple other defensive players right behind him. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg, who was ranked number three, uh, now ranked number four. Uh, that drop, really just a reflection of how well Denzel Burke has played. I don't think Tommy's dropping at all based on his performance this year, but just because Denzel Burke has been so good as that dominant number one cornerback that Tommy drops one spot in the rankings. And then we alluded to this one last week. Uh, moving up from being unranked in the preseason to now being ranked in the top five Ohio State players one month into the year. Tyleek Williams, who uh, we talked about being one of our biggest surprises of the first month of the season, certainly reflected in our staff's ranking of Ohio State's best players through the first month of the season as he rounds out the initial top five for the Buckeye 21 month into the season. Just focusing on the top five, Dan, yeah, I think uh, really I kind of agree with the ranking. I had Denzel Burke second behind Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, ahead of Emeka, who I had third, but I think those are all pretty interchangeable, right? Those three have kind of emerged as the stars of this team. When you you know We expected that from Marvin and Emeka before the season, but Denzel maybe a little less so. Though I always thought he had that All-American potential, there were some certainly some struggles last year, um, but a guy who 
has been a true lockdown corner and a guy who can remove the other team's best weapon in the passing game on a consistent down-to-down basis. And as Jim Knowles talked about today in his press conference, that's huge. That's huge to have on a defense. Then Tommy Eichenberg, expect him to stay in the top five all year. The centerpiece of everything Ohio State wants to do defensively. And then Tyleek Williams at five, your guy. Um, It's also good to see, I'll point out, three defensive players in the top five, uh, three through five there after the defensive struggles that Ohio State had at the end of last year and how big of an emphasis that was in the offseason. That's an interesting point you make because if as we continue to go down the rankings, you look at 6 through 10, uh, you've got three more offensive players at 6 through 8 with Travion Henderson, who he started off the year 5. Uh, he's 6. Again, I think he, much like Tommy, the only reason he's dropping a spot is just because Tyleek made such a big jump up. Uh, Travion has been exactly what we thought he would be this year. He's reemerged as that feature back for Ohio State's offense and has certainly reestablished himself as one of Ohio State's elite players. Then after him, you have uh, two guys who both made an eight-spot jump this month. Uh, Kyle McCord, uh, he was 15th on our initial rankings because we really didn't know going into the season if he was going to for sure be the starter all year long. Now that he's locked down that starting job, of course, led Ohio State on that game-winning drive against Notre Dame. He's now firmly within Ohio State's top 10 players, and we'll see. You know, He's a guy that's going to be interesting to watch now in his second month as the starter. Does he continue to grow, and could he continue to ascend up those rankings, or does he kind of stay where he's at in the, the lower end of a top 10? I, I think you know where he's ranked, uh, I, I probably had him a few spots lower on my ballot, honestly, just because you know I still feel like there's a lot of room to grow there. But I, I think putting him seventh is uh, very reasonable based on what we've seen from him for the first month of the season. Uh, and then he's followed in the rankings by Cade Stover, who you know I, I think honestly I think both of us would probably have said that Cade was underranked in the first rankings with him being 16th. I think both of us had Cade higher on our initial rankings. And I think, uh, you know, there's certainly some on our staff who, uh, you know, had some major questions about Cade going into the season based on some of the inconsistency we saw from him last year. But I think he's answered a lot of those questions of his play so far this year. I mean, you look at, you look at him as a receiver, uh, he's on pace to have one of the most productive seasons ever for an Ohio State tight end. And I think his blocking has been much more consistent as well. And so uh, that's certainly recognized in this month's Buckeye 20 with him uh, jumping up firmly into the top 10. But then you look after Cade, the next seven players on the list are all defensive players. JT Tuomoloau coming in at ninth, Leif and Ransom coming in at 10th, Mike Hall coming in 11th. Josh Proctor coming in 12th, Steel Chambers 13th, Sonny Styles 14th, and Davison Igbenosin 15th. So that is 10 of the top 15 players being on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that reflects the fact that Ohio State's defense so far this year has been elite, whereas Ohio State's offense so far this year hasn't been. It's a surprising flip from last year, you know, with the 
amount of defensive players who have really taken that next step have really provided a lot of production for Ohio State. You know, someone I want to focus on for a second is Josh Proctor, who was unranked in our previous Buckeye 20 and, you know, I think had a lot to prove uh, in the preseason rankings as someone who we maybe saw it from him for a game or two in 2021, but lost his job in 2022 to Lathan Ransom after missing a tackle against Notre Dame. He goes out against Notre Dame and continues to show why he's the free safety for this team in that game. He's kind of locked that spot down now. Again, coming up in the running game when he needs to, being physical, making big hits. We've always seen that from Proctor, but he's continued to prevent big plays over the top. He's continued to show better discipline in zone coverage and just generally against the pass. So Josh Proctor, for me, is one of the biggest reasons this defense has taken the next step, securing that free safety position as one of the biggest question marks we had entering the season and turning it into really a strength, uh, along with the entire secondary. This Ohio State secondary, uh, when you look top to bottom, Ending with Davis and Igbenosin, the five starters from the secondary are in that top 15. Denzel at three, Josh at 12, Sonny at 14, Davison at 15, and Lathan Ransom uh, up there at number 10. So just it's been a great year for the Ohio State secondary so far. Lathan had hit his biggest game of the season against Notre Dame, 13 tackles, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. Uh, so this secondary is the driving force behind what's been, as we've said, an improved defense for Ohio State. Yeah, all 11 defensive starters in the Buckeye 20 with Jack Sawyer rounding out the top 20 at number 20 uh, that being a drop from him to 12th before the season but again I think that goes back to the fact that he hasn't made any sacks yet you know we're still kind of waiting to see Jack Sawyer become that game changer that he's been built to be I think he's been solid and he certainly uh, belongs in the top 20 but I think you know for him to make a move up the rankings Next month, it's going to be contingent on whether we start seeing him making some game changing plays. And you could probably make an argument that Jack should not be 11 spots lower than JT based on the fact that JT doesn't have any sacks either. My feeling is if JT doesn't make those two plays he makes near the end of a game against Notre Dame, he's probably not in the top 10 right now. I think those two plays kind of saved his spot in the top 10 because. They all kind of saved Ohio State's season. If he doesn't make those two plays, Ohio State probably doesn't win that game. And so I think uh, that justifies JT's place in the top 10. Still a drop for JT based on where he was going into the year. We had him as a fourth-ranked player going into the year, and I don't think that he's quite performed up to that level where he's a top-five player on the team right now. But I, I also think... You know, those are two guys I look at right now in the rankings and say, when we're doing these rankings a month from now, I won't be surprised if both of them have moved back up because I think they're getting enough pressure to where you you feel like the potential is there for both of them to be stars on this team. But now that we're a month into the season, we're at the point where you got to show it. They, they, they've got to show it. They've got to uh, really, you know, get some sacks, make some more of, of those game-changing plays in order to be ranked higher. You met, I mentioned Jack being 20th. Uh, four of her offensive players ranked ahead of him. 
Chip Tranum coming in at 16th. He was a third guy along with Tyleek Williams and Josh Proctor who went from being unranked to inside the top 20. Certainly uh, his game-winning touchdown against Notre Dame having something to do with that. But I know for me in ranking him in the top 20, it wasn't just because of that. It was also because of the versatility we've seen from him over the course of this first month of a season. And the fact that he has at this point, seemingly firmly established himself as Ohio State's number two running back, which is notable because in our preseason Buckeye 20, we had Mayan Williams ranked ninth. Now he's unranked because he just hasn't played that much so far this year as a third string running back with Chip Trainum seemingly supplanting him on the depth chart. And so Chip Trainum checking in at 16th on this month's Buckeye 20, and then a trio of offensive linemen ranked right next to each other. Donovan Jackson ranked 17th, Matt Jones ranked 18th, Josh Fryer ranked 19th. You look at the starters who aren't on this list, Chip Trainum's not a starter. And so the three of the 22 starters that are not in the top 20, one of them is Julian Fleming, and he actually had the 21st most votes. So he was the... He was the first guy that that missed the cut, Julian Fleming. I, I think Julian Fleming's been solid, but you know, we, we talked before of a year about, you know, can he make that jump in terms of consistent production? And you look at the numbers so far this year, I believe he has 130 yards and, and no touchdowns. That hasn't happened yet. So that's why he's not in the top 20 right now. The other two starters who aren't in the top 20 are Josh Simmons and Carson Hinsman. And when you couple that with no other offensive lineman being ranked higher than 17th. I think that's certainly a reflection of a fact that, you know, we went into this year thinking the offensive line might be Ohio State's weak spot. And so far this year, I, I think certainly at least our staff agrees that it has been. No, I'm certainly in agreement with that as well. You know, I think most of those offensive linemen are guys you'd like to see rise in the rankings, uh, particularly Donovan Jackson uh, dropping all the way to 17. Uh, a guy who, you know, I had all American expectations for coming into this year, and he has certainly not played to that level uh, through four weeks. You talk about Josh Simmons, uh, someone who's not even on the rankings, who the staff was raving about in the preseason, his athleticism and how far he's come and the same issues that we saw from him coming from San Diego state have popped up here at Ohio state inconsistency penalties. Um, I do think he's gotten better. And I think the offensive line as a whole has gotten better than it was in week one against Indiana, uh, which I, I feel is their worst performance of the season, but they, aren't there yet. They aren't where they need to be. And they're frankly a good way off from that point. Uh, when you talk about consistency and feeling confident and short yardage, the pass protection, I think is the area where they've grown the most. And I do think that they're starting to get to the level they need to be at in that side of things. But the run game is what's really concerning right now, which is kind of the inverse of what I thought would be the case coming into the year. I mentioned JT and Jack being a couple guys who could potentially rise up the rankings as the year progresses if we start seeing more sacks from them. Who are a couple guys that you look at as guys who you think we could see rise up the rankings as the year progresses? Yes, uh, for me, Donovan is one. I, I do think that he has the ability to return to form, to return to what he 
was expected to be coming into the year, an All-American. He's got the athleticism. He's got the drive. He's got the smarts. Um, lots of things to like from him as an offensive guard, and I do think he can make that jump a little bit, get back to what he's been. Sonny Styles is another, someone who's gotten a little more rotational use this year. Uh, I think his reps might increase uh, as we enter Big Ten play here when you're facing more of those big physical offenses that are in the Big Ten, when you're facing some of the tight ends that Penn State, Michigan are going to throw at you. Uh, I think we're going to see more of Sonny. He's going to take steps as the season goes on his first year as a starter when he really should be a freshman anyway um he's a sophomore now the way he's built so talented so versatile i think he's someone we could see climb into the top 10 by the end of the year um and chip Tranum too uh if he keeps making some big plays uh, does more of what he did against Western Kentucky as the season goes on. And, you know, obviously he's been Ohio State's short yardage change of pace back a little bit. Uh, Mayan gets some work in short yardage too, but it's mostly chip trade. And I think they're leaning towards, and I think especially in the big games, they're going to look to chip more than they look to Mayan. Uh, so those would be a couple of guys I could see rising up the rankings. Yeah, I agree with you on Donovan and Sonny. I think Donovan is better than what we've seen from him so far this year. I think based on how he's played so far this year, I think he's probably ranked where he should be. Uh, but I do think that he's somebody that, you know, he was he was ranked sixth going into the season. And I, I think that he's somebody who uh, definitely has the talent to be one of the best guards in the country to be one of the best players on this team. And so he's definitely somebody that I look for better play than what we've seen from him so far. I think as he gets more, you know, again, he's, he's next to two brand new starters and Josh Simmons and Carson Hinsman. And that's something that takes some getting used to. And I think for both Donovan and Matt Jones, you know, that that's something they've had to adjust to is playing around new guys and it's affected their own individual performance as well. So I, I, I certainly look for, you know, the offensive line as a whole, uh, you know, you know, part of it, you know, part of why they're ranked probably where they are, frankly, is because offensive linemen just aren't going to get noticed as much when they do the good things as some of the other guys do. But I also think just as a whole, you know, that unit needs to continue to improve. And if it does, you know, that will likely be reflected in our in our future rankings of Ohio State's top 20 players. And then, you know, Sonny, I, I think a lot of it for Sonny comes down to just his usage and, and how much he's out there. Because, you know, I think for me, like I could make a case for Sonny being higher, except for the fact that he's not an every down player right now. So I, I think some of it's going to depend on, you know, do, how much do they utilize him? Like you said, I think there's going to be games here coming up where he's probably going to play a lot, but I'm still, as I mentioned last week, I, I still feel like Sonny, I feel like there's more they can tap into of Sonny. I, I feel like he is not necessarily being used as fully as he could be on this defense, where that means giving him some snaps at linebacker, giving him some snaps as a deep safety to kind of give some diff different looks. You know, I asked Jim Knowles about that on Tuesday, and he mentioned, you know, we have to be careful with that because. It, we don't want to just move him around and then make it obvious what we're doing. So, um, you know, they, they have to be careful with that. And I think some of it, too, is like you said, I mean, he's a guy who really should be a freshman right now. And so I think they're a little bit leery to put too much on his plate. I mean, you look at the rest of the defense, other than Davis and Igbenosin, 
everyone else who's playing a major role on that defense right now is an upperclassman. And so I, I think, you know, they, they are trying to be a little bit careful with Sonny, but I do feel like if they fully unleash him, he is definitely a guy who could move up these rankings and really emerge as one of the stars of Ohio State's defense. No, I agree. Well, obviously, I agree. It's uh, it's what I, it's what I said. Now, who who are some players we we've talked about the offensive line? We've talked about obviously the guys we think can make a jump in the rankings this October. Dan, is there anyone that you feel needs to outside of those offensive linemen as we discussed before? I think those are the main ones. I mean, you, I mean, you talk about it too. If if somebody moves up, then somebody else is moving down, right? And so, you know, I, ideally, you <laughs> want it to be really hard to pick only twenty players uh, to make this list. I, I think for me, when I when I did my individual rankings this month, I felt like okay, I I I, I can pick twenty players, and it wasn't necessarily that hard to leave anyone off of that top twenty. And so, I think you know, if everything's going ideally. When I'm doing my rankings next month, you'd like to be sitting there going, man, it's really hard to leave this guy and this guy out of a top 20, but there's just so many guys playing well now that I have to. So I, I think that, you know, is kind of the, the, the question. I think, you know, the good news is I think there's a lot of guys playing at a really high level for Ohio State right now. Uh, but I think certainly you, you start with those offensive linemen wanting to see more from them. And then again, I, I go back to the defensive ends. Uh, they're, they're both, you know, top 20 players on this team right now, but you still want to see more out of them than what we've seen so far. I agree. It's mainly the offensive line. Uh, one guy that I at first thought of uh, when discussing that question is Mike Hall that I'd kind of like to see move up just out of, um, not that he hasn't played well, but that he's not getting as much getting as much run getting put in this situations that perhaps are better for him as a three tech but Tyleek's done so well in that role uh, as we've talked about before that it really seems like he's the best solution it knows that they have right now Um, because you want both him and Tyleek on the field at the same time Tyleek they clearly don't feel comfortable putting it the nose so you put him at the three, and he's done fantastic in that role. Um, been Ohio State's best defensive lineman through the first four weeks. Uh, and you leave Mike Hall at the one, and I think he's going to stay about where he's at in the rankings because in that one technique position, he's not given the liberty to use his athleticism as much to make a lot of plays. But he serves a very important role. Um, you would like to see someone in that spot be a little bigger. Uh, but he's got such a great first step and uh, burst and strength that he makes up for it and can eat blocks and can help the defensive line along the way uh, with his play there. Now, the other big storyline of this week came on Monday when it was revealed that Ohio State will play its Peacock game against Purdue. And we knew it was coming. Uh, we knew we knew it was coming. And NBC had said in a release before the season that Ohio State was going to play a game on Peacock this year. The initial report had been that Ohio State-Maryland was likely to be a Peacock game and that Ohio State-Purdue was likely to be a Fox game. With Maryland's 5-0 and start to the season, those games ended up getting flipped to where Ohio State is playing Maryland on Fox this week, but then it will play on Peacock next week against Purdue. And, uh, you know, as the initial reaction was, a lot of Buckeye fans are not happy about this. It is going to be 
a big adjustment for Ohio State fans. This will be the first game since 1997 that's not televised live on linear television. And so uh, for, for people who have not embraced the world of streaming yet, uh, you know, this is certainly going to be a, a big adjustment for people. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's very different to have an Ohio State game that is not included in your cable package. Now, you know, as, as I've said before, I, I, you know, I mean, I think the one thing that I, I hear as a complaint that I push back on a little is this idea of, oh, why should we have to pay for Ohio State games? Well, you're already paying. If you, if, if, if you watch any of the games that are on FS1 or uh, Big Ten Network or any other cable channel, you're already paying to watch those games. And so I don't, you know, I, I think the idea that this is something that is, you know, unprecedented in that regard of, of Ohio State fans having to pay to watch a game, I, I think that angle of this gets a little bit overstated. I also just think it's something that, like it or not, we all have to adapt to because uh, it's not going to be just football. Uh, men's basketball was announced on Tuesday is going to have five games on Peacock uh, this season. Uh, women's basketball uh, is going to have six games on Peacock this year. Now, that's not quite as big a change because they already had some games that were not on TV that were uh, streaming only uh, with Big Ten Plus. And so uh, that's something that basketball fans are probably a little bit more used to, although I think the quality of matchups that are going to be streaming only now of Peacock has certainly increased. I mean, you look at the men's basketball games that are going to be on Peacock. I mean, their their big non-conference home game against Texas A&M is going to be on there. Uh, A game against Indiana is going to be on there. I think Wisconsin and a couple other conference games. So, you know, it used to be kind of, you know, those non-conference games that most people don't really care about were getting buried on streaming. Now, games that people are actually going to care about are, are, are ended up on, on Peacock. And so it, it's certainly going to be a, a big adjustment for a lot of people. Um, you know, I think especially for people who, you know, haven't done much streaming to this point, it, it's going to be a really big adjustment. But I also think it's something that, you know, is reality because you look at the media rights deal that the Big Ten signed. They're getting over a billion dollars a year in, in media rights revenue. And the reality is, you know, you, you can't have it both ways, right? If you're, if you're going to take that revenue from the media companies, you have to understand that those networks are then going to look to maximize their return on investment. And I think NBC in this case looks at it as, I mean, they don't have NBC Sports Network anymore. And so with this inventory you have, you only have so many slots on your national network. And so they're going to look at it and go, well, should we put these games on USA Network or CNBC or whatever? Or should we drive people to subscribe to our streaming platform? And I think, uh, you know, for NBC, it's probably not a particularly hard decision to, to drive people to subscribe to that streaming platform. Now, you know, I totally understand like the frustration that fans have about this because I know like even for me, you know, when we had my my perspective on this has actually changed a little bit from when we talked about it a couple months ago because when when it was first reported that Ohio State was going to play on Peacock at the time I was actually still subscribing to 
linear cable. I have si- since switched to YouTube TV. And so now I've kind of, you know, fully gone with streaming in terms of uh, how I watch television at this point. Although, you know, I, I was thinking about it over the weekend when uh, I was just watching games at home and not covering a game. And, you know, I was watching some games on YouTube TV. They have the multi-view, which is, which is pretty cool. And then I, I realized like, oh yeah, the Purdue Illinois game is on Peacock. And I didn't even like remember that that game was even happening because it wasn't on the main streaming platform that I use. And so I do think there's some of that. And just like, in terms of like general, like awareness of games that it's going to take people some getting used to. I mean, Ohio state fans are going to know when Ohio state is playing on Peacock, but they might not know when anyone else is playing on Peacock. And so I think some of that is, is going to be a challenge just in terms of, you know, getting ratings for those games. But I, I do think that it's just a, a reality that, you know, we have to accept at this point, uh, you know, again, and again, I, I want to be clear because I know the last time I said that some people took umbrage with my comment of saying that we don't have to accept it. When I'm saying that, I'm not saying you have to go subscribe to Peacock. That is fully your choice. But the reality is it's not going anywhere. The reality is it's probably only going to go further in this direction with the next media rights contract. And so it's something that uh, you know, people are going to have to kind of figure out, okay, do I want to subscribe to Peacock or not? And if not, then how am I going to watch these games? You know, people kind of have to make those decisions for themselves. But, you know, I think, you know, the, the reality is that, you know, capitalism's a thing and, and, and both the Big Ten and these networks are going to look at how can we make the most money out of these deals? And, Streaming's be- streaming's becoming a part of that, and you know I'm sure a lot of people out there look at it and go, "Well, I don't I don't care how much money Big Ten and the TV networks make. Uh, just just give me my just give me my game without making me pay more money for it." And that is uh, a perfectly uh, valid valid way to feel, and uh, probably the way a majority of people feel. But you know, I think the one thing I would say about that too is, you know, we we. In my mind, we are not that far off from a future in which the athletes are getting a direct cut of this revenue themselves. And as a result of that, you know, these schools, these conferences, they're going to look for every way they can to maximize the value of these media rights deals. And so I think, you know, I think one, one way I would look at it just pragmatically in terms of Ohio State and other Big Ten schools is, yeah, it it sucks that you have to subscribe to this additional streaming platform just to watch an Ohio State game. But from a competitive purpose, for a resource purpose for the Big Ten schools, the more money they can make off of their TV deals, the better, because that has become the biggest revenue driver in, in college sports other than, you know, selling tickets to home football games. And so if streaming is what is needed to help those schools remain at the top of, of the college sports world in, in terms of competitiveness, in terms of resources, 
I think that's a trade-off that those schools and conferences are going to make, even though they know it's going to make some of their fans unhappy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with uh, pretty much everything you said there. Uh, one thing I'll say, too, uh, is, you know, fans look for the why in this instance. And I, from NBC's perspective, it does make a lot of sense. You know, I think one of the general complaints I've seen is that, well, they're going to take a big ratings hit. They're going to lose money on this. No, they're not. They're going to sell thousands of subscriptions to Peacock. That's the goal. NBC's done the math and figured out, hey, we have other games to fill our cable slots instead of putting this on maybe a lesser network why don't we instead drive up subscriptions to our peacock app you know and it doesn't take as many as you would think to make that a wise business decision when you have other games to maybe go in those those slots at noon um or you don't have a game you could get to put on NBC. You only have the option of Peacock uh, for whatever reason for the Ohio State Purdue game. Um, now it is a reality that is going to have to come to college football over the next few years. I think we'll see a slight uptick in Peacock games. I think the number that are on cable, I think cable's still going to be more prevalent than Peacock is. But the number is going to increase as time goes on, as new media deals are made, etc. It's just less and less people have cable now. You need to drive revenue to the streaming services that you have. And sports are a proven way to do that. People will always watch sports. It's been proven as the cord's been cut. And I think it will continue to be proven as more sports move to streaming services like Peacock. Yeah, I mean, the good news is live sports are absolutely integral to the survival of cable. And so they're not they're not going to go completely off of cable because, you know, Fox, CBS, ABC, NBC, ESPN, what have you, these different major media companies, they know they need live sports to survive. And so that's the good news is that it's not going to all go to streaming. but the bad news is this isn't going to be a one-off thing. This isn't going to be a, you know, you know, I, I think there's probably some fans out there who probably are thinking oh, if we don't watch and the ratings are bad, then they'll reverse course and they won't do this anymore. I mean, I, I, I just, I just don't, I just don't think that's going to work because I, I mean, for one, they're, they're contractually obligated at this point to have eight games on Peacock uh, a year for the duration of his contract, which again, the good news there is again, it's, it's only eight games. So most likely we're looking at one Ohio state game a year on Peacock over the duration of his contract. Then whenever the next media rates contract comes up, we'll see if that number increases or decreases. But, you know, I think we're probably looking at a reality of one Ohio state game a year on Peacock over the course of this media rights deal. But I, you know, I would be very surprised if the next media rights contract does not have not only probably the same amount of streaming, but most likely a larger amount of streaming. I mean, it's a definite possibility that expanded college football playoff rights could include some streaming exclusive games. And so, um, you know, again, it's, you know, I mean, I, I think the best thing we can hope for for 
Ohio State right now is it 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 stays to just Peacock in terms of streaming platforms you need because I mean, you know, I, I know for like MLB fans, like there were some MLB fans that like you needed like Apple TV and you needed Peacock and you needed ESPN plus, you know, you needed like five different streaming services to watch all of your team's games. And so right now for Ohio State, you know, outside of the traditional cable bundle, we're just looking at one. So ho- hopefully it, it stays that way. I mean, o- only time will tell on that, I guess. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, at least right now you're, you're talking about, you know, one game on, on one streaming service when, you know, you see what's happening in some other sports. It could certainly be worse. Yeah, I uh, hope that CBS, you know, with their inclusion into the new deal, doesn't decide to pitch for some games on Paramount Plus there. Um, it would be my main concern with that. But I um, no, I, I think either way, we're going to see, like you said, the majority of games on cable still. Um, and this new streaming era is a whole, whole new world for college sports, sports in general. Um, Moving off the Peacock discussion a little bit, Ohio State lost a commitment this week from 2024 offensive lineman Mark Knave. Uh, Three-star out of Ohio. It sounds like that it might have been as much Ohio State's decision as it was Knave's. Um, Dan, are they looking to the portal now to fill the void a little more? Because there's only three commitments in this class now on, on the offensive line. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. You know, some of it is going to depend on whether Ohio State is able to land Jordan Seaton, who's uh, really the top uncommitted offensive lineman out there that they're still pursuing. And, you know, several other major schools are also in the mix for him. But outside of him, it doesn't sound like they're really recruiting any other offensive linemen who remain uncommitted in the class at this point. And so I, I do think, you know, they're looking at, you know, they'd, they'd love to get Seaton, but even if they don't, they're probably not going to start offering a bunch of other offensive linemen just to fill holes. They'll probably instead look to the portal and see if they can bring in a couple of offensive linemen from other schools next year. And I, and I think that's increasingly becoming the strategy for Ohio state when it misses out on its top targets is in the past, if Ohio state missed out on the top guy, it wanted at a position, then it would start sending out more offers at that position to, to try to find a plan B where I think now they're going to be a little more selective about do they need a plan B in the class or do they just look to the portal? Um, and so I, I think uh, there, there's definitely becoming a little bit more of a selective approach. And I, and I think, you know, with, with Mark Nave, I think, you know, that may have been some of the calculation there of, you know, this guy just hasn't quite developed the way that we thought he would this year. And do we want to use one of our 85 scholarships on him instead of bringing in an offensive lineman through the portal who may be able to help us more quickly? You know, I think that's something that, you know, you, you talk about a position like the offensive line that's so developmental they might start to look more. Can can other schools develop some of these guys for us, and then and then we bring them in. And so, you know, I mean, we you know, it's been talked about ad nauseum from Ryan Day that you know re- recruiting is still going to remain the lifeblood of Ohio State, and they're still going to look to bring in sizable recruiting classes every year, and and they're going to prioritize bringing in recruits from the high school ranks. But I think it's going to be, I think there's probably 
some guys in past years that they've taken a chance on that maybe they'll be less inclined to take a chance on now. And, and, you know, that, that can go both ways. I mean, you, you, you can look back through the years and see some examples of lower ranked recruits that Ohio state signed that turned out to be star players for the Buckeyes. And so maybe you miss out on one or two of those guys if you start becoming more selective in recruiting. But I also think Ohio State recognizes that with the amount of talent that's going into the portal on a yearly basis now, that's something they can take advantage of. And if you're recruiting a player that you're ultimately not particularly confident is going to be an impact player for you down the road, you you may be better off looking to the portal instead. I agree. And especially because, you know, it's just so hard to predict when you're picking out those three-star guys or low-end four-star guys, guys that you aren't, you know, aren't at the top of your board, who is going to turn into those stars? Uh, the thing is, though, if the portal's going to be your strategy, you need to hit better than Ohio State hit this year. Uh, when you talk about missing so many targets before they got to Josh Simmons. Now, Josh Simmons might turn into a really good player. We'll see. Uh, for now, he's had some issues to start the year. He does have a, some athletic upside, I think, as the staff has mentioned. But you, when you miss on five guys before you get to Josh Simmons, I mean, what does that say about your ability to then recruit the portal? That's the thing. It's it's almost like another round of recruiting that happens in the portal. And so being dependent on that to constantly refill the coffers could be a bit of a catch-22. Now, of course, Ohio State did take its shots with some top targets. They were right there for Brandon Baker, finished second in that recruitment to Texas, the number one tackle in the country. Who's to say with Jordan Seaton, although it doesn't seem like Ohio State's where he's trending at this point. But offensive line being so developmental, like you said, you need guys who have that pedigree. There just aren't that many of them in each recruiting class. And I was having a discussion with a board member on 11 Warriors during our weekly Q&A. I was up in that rotation this week about this, that you look at Ian Moore. And he is the 126th prospect in the country. And at a lot of other positions, that'd be outside the top 10 uh, in terms of where you are in your position rankings. He's the number seven interior offensive lineman. So there's not a lot of depth in recruiting of guys that are can't miss offensive line prospects, which is... Again, why a transfer portal pivot might be a smart strategy. It's just you have to hit on those guys that you go after that are your top targets then in the portal. Yeah, I don't think you ever want to be dependent on the portal. And I think the, the reason why Ohio State was somewhat dependent on the portal on the offensive line this year was because its recruiting and development on the offensive line in past years hadn't been good enough. So... Uh, you know, I, I, it, it all goes together. And I think, you know, ideally you still don't want to have to lean on the portal very much, but I also think Ohio state probably looks at it this past year and where, you know, by the end of the off season, you know, there were a couple guys that it brought in as transfers that it didn't have scholarships for. And so I, I, I think that's probably part of a calculus here of going, okay, maybe we want to leave ourselves a few extra spots 
so that we have a little more wiggle room to to recruit guys out of a portal instead of trying to fill every single slot no matter what. I think that's what it comes down to. I think if if Ohio State can get the guys, it's it's always going to try to recruit as many of the top players out of high school as it can. And if it can hit on all those guys and fill all of its slots, then it's not going to do a lot in the portal. But I think you know there, there's going to be positions of need to where it's going to make more sense sometimes for Ohio State to say, okay, instead of taking this high school player who we're just not quite sure about, let's go get the best guy we can get out of a portal. And I, I think that's just something that Ohio State is going to shift to a little bit more now. Not, not, not a lot. I mean, I still think that high school recruiting is, is going to be the top priority, but I do think that they're certainly becoming more welcoming to the portal. Whereas I think initially they kind of viewed that as a last resort. Now I think it's more something they're thinking about more actively in terms of their year round recruiting strategy. One other recruiting note to get to before we wrap up here, and that's on the basketball side of things. Bryce James, LeBron James's younger son, is going to be visiting Ohio State this weekend. And of course, people who followed the Bronny James recruitment will remember that Ohio State uh, was in the mix on that recruitment, but he ultimately ended up at USC. And I think there was kind of conflicting information all along about one of how involved Ohio State really was in Bronny James recruitment. Like, you know, Bronny certainly made his visits to Ohio State. It's well known that LeBron is an Ohio State fan. And so uh, there was always going to be some mutual interest there, but it never felt like Ohio State was really that serious of a player for Bronny James. And so when you look at Bryce's recruitment here, do you kind of expect more of the same? Or do you think there might be more of a real chance that Bryce actually ends up as a Buckeye. I kind of expect more of the same, to be honest, Dan. Um, look, there are, I'm not sure how much Ohio State wanted Bronny James in the end. There's a lot of off-court distraction that can come with a name like that, being the son of LeBron, and as affiliated as he is with Ohio State, there's just a lot of other stuff that might have been on the coaching staff's mind when it came to that recruitment. And Bronny ended up being a five-star prospect. Bronny would have helped Ohio State on the court, I think. Bryce, I'm not as sure about that on yet. Definitely still could prove it out. I think Bronny proved it out later in his high school career, but is a lower pedigree recruit than Bronny was. And to that end also, I think that USC might have won that Bronny James recruitment regardless of just how much contact Ohio State's ha- staff and how much push there was to get him on the team because in the end I'm not sure LeBron said out of college he would have out of high school he would have gone to Ohio State if uh if he did go to college but I've never been too certain that's the case I think Sometimes that family would prefer to go to a more traditional basketball power or stay closer to home in California with USC. I'll be interested to see how Bryce's recruitment plays out, but I really don't expect Ohio State, while I think there will be some smoke, obviously he's visiting this weekend, my expectation is not that he will ultimately be a Buckeye. 
Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I mean, I do think it's not necessarily completely analogous to Bronny because a couple things. For one, LeBron might not be playing for the Lakers in two years. And so, the, the you know, I think that was a big factor in Bronny staying in, in Southern California. We don't necessarily know what LeBron's going to be doing in two years. Will he even still be playing in the NBA at that point? Uh, so, you know, that's a variable that could be a factor in this. I think, you know, whether Bronny's still at USC could be a factor in this. Obviously, Bronny, uh, you know, he had a, a heart situation of his offseason. He's still recovering from that. So for right now, the number one most important thing with Bronny is just his health and him getting medically cleared, cleared to play. I don't think, you know, anybody's really focused on the NBA with Bronny right now because right now the focus is on just him becoming medically cleared and going from there. But, you know, that's going to be a factor, too. I mean, if if Bronny's still there at USC in two years, uh, you would think there's probably going to be more of an inclination for Bryce to join him there and go play with his brother. If Bronny's already moved on from college basketball, then there might not be that. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Like you said, I mean, I think the only official offer that Bryce has reported at this point is from Duquesne. And so uh, we'll have to see how Bryce's recruitment actually evolves over the next two years. There's no doubt that it's going to get a ton of attention, just like Ronnie did, just because of who he is. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I would I would bet against Bryce James being a Buckeye right now, but it's certainly going to get the attention just because of who he is. Absolutely. You'd expect it to. Uh Bronny certainly drew a lot of attention to uh, the program just in his flirtations with with Columbus. One thing I think we should get to before we wrap up here is how CJ Stroud's looked through this first month, Dan. Uh, really just an elite passer of the football already, it looks like. And a guy who has really provided some momentum, some needed momentum to the Houston Texans franchise. Yeah, some really mind-blowing stats for C.J. Stroud through his first month as an NFL quarterback. Uh, he's now thrown 151 passes without an interception, which are the fifth most ever to start an NFL career. His 1,212 passing yards are the second most ever for an NFL quarterback through four games behind only Cam Newton. And here's one that was quite striking that ESPN published on Monday. He's only the sixth quarterback in NFL history to average more than 300 yards per game without throwing a single interception in the first four games of the season. The only other five quarterbacks to accomplish that feat, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. Those are five future Hall of Famers. Uh, Peyton Manning's already in the Hall of Fame. The other four will, will join him eventually. And so that is some great company to be in, and that speaks to just how good C.J. Stroud has been in his first month as an NFL quarterback, certainly the early front runner for the Offensive Rookie of the Year award. And, you know, there's been so much talk over the years about the narrative that Ohio State quarterbacks don't succeed in the NFL. And uh, certainly early returns on C.J. Stroud would suggest that that narrative is about to change in a big way. Things are still looking a little shaky for Justin Fields in Chicago. Uh, they are probably the worst team in the NFL right now, though. He did have a career day on Sunday. He had a career high 335 yards as well as a career high four passing touchdowns. Game did end on a sour note for Fields and the Bears because 
Uh, he had a fumble that was returned by his former Ohio State teammate, Jonathan Cooper, for a touchdown to tie the game. And then after the Broncos took the lead, uh, he threw an interception in the final minute of the game. And so uh, the jury's still very much out on Justin Fields. And, you know, we'll see, you know, is he able to turn things around in Chicago? You know, does he maybe end up on another team in the next year or two? And could that give him a chance to uh, get his career on the right track? We'll see on Justin. but. Certainly of CJ right now, uh, the Houston Texans are very, very happy they took him with the number two overall pick, and all indications are that he's going to be a star NFL quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it, the bar isn't very high to clear to be the best quarterback Ohio State's ever produced. Obviously, you ex- exclude Joe Burrow from this conversation because he did all his real playing at LSU, but really, I, and we've talked about this before, since the, well, ever, Ohio State's never had a guy be a franchise quarterback. Mike Tomzak was the only one who was a starter for more than two seasons, and his numbers were nothing impressive. Uh, was mostly a backup throughout his career. And now you get into Fields and Stroud as the two guys who could be the guy from Ohio State that does it finally. And, I mean, through four games of his rookie season... CJ looks like he could already be the best quarterback the team has produced in just a season if, if he continues at this pace. Justin, of course, before that weekend uh, to his outing Sunday, had a, perf- a performance that was really a career tone setter for him in some ways or looked like it was going to be that. Um, broke the Bears franchise record for consecutive completions in that game and you know threw for over 300 yards, four touchdowns. You wonder how much of it's coaching there in Chicago, and I'm sure our our own Garrett Hodge could shed more light on that if we had him on as our resident Bears fan. But, you know, I think there's definitely still time for Justin to find his footing and be that guy. It just seems that CJ has figured it out very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I I think with Justin, you could certainly look at it and say, you know, I mean, that, that organization right now clearly has a lot of issues going on. You know, he still does not have a very good offensive line in front of him. And so, uh, you know, I think there are valid things you can look at and say, you know, these things have really set Justin Fields' development back. Now, I think the question becomes, is that stuff fixable? You know, whether it's in Chicago or elsewhere, can a better situation around Justin Fields allow him to really unlock his potential and become a successful NFL quarterback? Or has the start to his career that he's had done irreparable damage, but it's going to be tough for him to bounce back from at this point. I think that's what we don't know. I mean, but the talent is there. I mean, you could see it when he, the way he was playing for most of a day on Sunday, you know, that he's still an elite talent. He's certainly one of the best running back quarterback, running quarterbacks in the NFL, but the, the, the consistency as a passer has to get there. And now that he's in his third year as an NFL quarterback, the, the clock is starting to tick on it getting there. And so, uh, you know, we'll see how the rest of the season goes for him. We'll see how things go uh, from there. But uh, certainly uh, with C.J. Stroud, uh, there's a lot to like about that. And certainly, uh, you know, this is this is a place Ohio State has never been in in terms of NFL quarterbacks of having two solidly entrenched starters at the same time. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's certainly been fascinating to watch how they how they perform from week to week absolutely and we'll hope that uh 
you know, CJ and Justin can both take that next step this week as Ohio State tries to take its next step against Maryland Saturday. Yep. Ohio State plays Maryland on Saturday at noon inside Ohio Stadium. Again, that game will be televised on Fox and we will have full coverage leading up to the game, during the game, after the game on 11warriors.com. So stay tuned to 11 Warriors for full coverage of the Buckeyes' fifth game of the season against Maryland. And we will be back next week to break down everything we saw.